Support for Tantrum comes from MailChimp, celebrating creativity, chaos, and teamwork since 2001. MailChimp, send better email. The podcast you are about to hear is about raising kids, but it's for adults. There are curse words and talk of grown-up things, so make with the headphones. Welcome to Tantrum. Tantrum is a podcast for grown-ups about raising kids. I'm Kate. And I'm Allison. Today we'll hear from Patty Callahan-Henry. I went to the fence and asked my husband, where is Rusk, our youngest? You have him. Ha ha. No, really, I left him at the house for you and my parents to bring. He was safe. He stood in the front yard patiently waiting with his blankie under one arm. Yeah. And he still brings up this abandonment issue when he wants something. The image we have for ourselves as parents before parenthood versus what really goes down. Her story's coming up in just a few. Hey, Allison. Hi, Kate. I had, I was thinking about this episode like two nights ago because our family of four was playing outside in the yard and all of a sudden I didn't know where Merritt was. Merritt is your youngest. Yeah, she's two. two. And um, she had just gone into my neighbor's house and was playing with her son. (laughs) And it was all fine. But it was like one of those just moments of being like, oh, my God, how could I how could I just totally like I was weeding. David was playing ball with Alice like (laughs) she went into someone else's house. Kudos for you. She comes out with graham crackers, you know. She got what she wanted, apparently. <laughs> well, you know what? That is kind of a win for you. And I mean, that it also is kind of a really like good on you because you chose to live in a neighborhood that has that kind of tight knit community. So it's not a fuck up. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, we like share a driveway with this neighbor. It's not like she had I was down on the curb weeding and stuff. I think I would have seen her if she had actually walked down the sidewalk somewhere. But I don't know. It's like the lovely part of her getting older where I can do something like weed and the same time as she's playing. But then I don't know. It's so scary to think if you just let it go a little too far, she could be going out the gate. You know, I don't think she would. She would. I had a moment today of like actually noticing that bird was growing older and like it weirded me out. So my son Bird is like six months younger than Merritt, so he's also two. And this evening before like bedtime, he and I were looking at my phone and we're looking at old like videos that I shot of him. And we looked at so many videos from when he was a baby and especially like the summer that he was one. We had all these pictures of him, all these videos of him. And actually didn't really do much in any of these videos. He's just like lying there. Or he's like bouncing in his bouncy swing mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, and you're like, it's amazing. I know. <laughs> it was, it was, and, you know, I was overcome with like, oh, my God, the cuteness. And he was just like, baby, you know. I don't think you really got that it was him. And then I noticed the time. And I'm like, Bird, it's time to brush your teeth. And I walk into the bathroom. And I set up his little stool. And I'm putting toothbrush on his little brush. And I said, come on in. And he walks around the corner. And he comes into the bathroom. And... Seeing him do that in that moment made me feel so weird. Like watching him just follow instructions and come to you to brush his teeth. Yeah, that was part of it. And just like, oh, you can do that now, even though, you know, but part of it was in my mind. I temporarily like replaced contemporary bird with baby bird again. And it was weird. Like I felt like 
he looked yeah. like kind of monstrous to me almost. Like I was like, what mm-hmm. are you? Like, mm-hmm. what is this? And I was like, you're grown. And, and he's not, yeah. he's a two year old, but like, it was really bizarre for a moment. Yeah. Just a split second. Does that make sense? No, they do do that. It's like they all, all of a sudden you see, instead of all of the little increments, you see this like moment of explosion of how old and where you are in time. And, it's often for me when I'm just cradling Merritt at bedtime or something, and I'm like, you're giant now. You're just so big. I know. And she told me tonight, she told me whatever. I can't remember what it was. I, but her response was, whatever. Now She has an older sister. I, yes. I think, <laughs> I think, I, Alice, that I was like, Alice? She was like, you taught her that. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I, I had to just... Say okay, Alice I don't is know. her older sister, who's like nine. Uh, she's only seven, but it's not so strange. You might think she's nine. She's she's pretty precocious. Yes, yeah. She really loves to wear Merritt's t-shirts, <laughs> so that her belly's like hanging out, like her little jean shorts, and then like the really tight two t-shirt. Oh my god! Where we're like. You can't wear that out of the house. Like you can wear that in the house, but that's not your shirt. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to imagine, like if, it, like, like a shirt, like it, like that would have like Cookie Monster's face on it or something. And then- well, she chooses ones that are like solid colors, right? But yeah, it's her part of her style now. Oh, Alice, you have so <laughs> many good stories about her, and one day I'm going to get you onto the stage to tell some of your Alice stories. Yeah, she's been really funny recently. Oh, but I wanted to respond to this concept of being the parent that you thought you would be versus who you are. Yes, please. Where when you were talking about watching baby videos of him, I am totally the parent that was like, my children aren't going to have any screen time and they're going to, I'll never let them play with my phone and we're not going to eat too much sugar. And I am now... I've only had Merritt for less than three years. I already, we had chocolate milk because she had, she was sick and she'd only take the medicine with the chocolate milk. Now we have the chocolate syrup and she wants chocolate milk every day. And I find myself being like, only chocolate milk once a day. You know, <laughs> it's like, such a slippery slope. I know? totally hear you, yes. Yeah, and... I mean, I had this idea that if I didn't expose her to much media or unhealthy food, and, you know, in the big picture, she really, she watches very little media, and she eats very And in very the big picture, her well. father is a chef. Yes. And she, Cooks amazing I mean, food. her favorite part of dinner tonight was raw fennel. So you have to still be like, okay, things are okay. But um, she's also obsessed with candy and, like, Alice's Halloween candy in particular that Alice didn't eat is still sitting there. And and Merritt the other day was like, I want candy! I want candy! I want candy! And I was like, you are a monster. Like, I've allowed you to become a monster who just cries (laughs) I want candy. Like, how more cliche brat could you be? No. Why, why couldn't you have done this in a public place so that we could have just been on display for everyone while right. you were saying, I want candy? Right. But the reality of parenting 
is that we can't operate high quality all of the time. Like it's just too tiring. Yeah, because you're living your everyday life. Yeah. You don't you don't stop living your everyday life and start living some like elevated form of existence. Like I rely on um Bird has this horrible toy. I don't know where it came from, but it's this microphone that, you know, it's Makes like Grover no singing and it's a nightmare. Right. That's another thing. I kind of thought, oh, we're not going to have any toys that make sound. Like, we're not going to have any electronic toys. And that toy saves my ass on, like, car rides home from daycare when he's just, like, at his low ebb of energy. And if if he doesn't have that toy these days, it descends into we see the MARTA train and, like, he's happy for a second. But then we get to where the tracks are, like, way elevated above the road and he can't see it. And he starts freaking out because he can't see it anymore. And he's like... I want Mata Twain. I want Mata Twain. I want Mata. But but if he has his little stupid, yeah. irritating as fuck Grover toy, <laughs> yeah. So I fall into that, you know, like because you know we all do, right? Yes. So I have, good for us. I good think, on all of us, right? Yeah. Like when you're still just an aunt or something, you can be like, you need to be stronger. And you become a parent and you're like, this is exactly how strong I feel right now. Exactly how strong I am in this moment. (laughs) Honor that. Mm -hmm. It's honoring that. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well, Well. speaking of doing the best you can do here, we have a couple of parental moments of glory. They're from a recent show. This comes from Sonia and she writes, my parental moment of glory is... My two-year-old kept removing keyboard keys, so we got an indestructible plastic keyboard. He proceeded to poop on it. We threw it out. He won. He's 16 now, still winning. Bless him. Here's one from Tracy. I'm a bit of a weirdo, and I have voices for our dogs. I talk for them as if they are part of most moments at home. I knew when I had our son, I probably should curb my weirdness, but it's become so natural to just talk for them. Yeah. Well, to our son, it seems normal. One day, we were out in public, and my son asked, why isn't Rico talking? And remember, you can call in with your own parental moments of glory. That is stories of failures, victories, or mom or dad hilarity that you have had. Uh, Just call 678-379-3748. Let's move on to our featured reader from our May show, Patty Callahan-Henry. Patty is a New York Times best-selling author of 12 novels, including the upcoming The Bookshop at Water's End out this July. She's also a finalist in the Townsend Prize for Fiction, an Indie Next pick, an Okra pick, and a multiple nominee for the Southern Independent Booksellers Alliance Novel of the Year. The mother of three children, she now lives in both Mountain Brook, Alabama, and Bluffton, South Carolina with her husband. So Patty tells us that a particularly shining memory she has about cars and trucks and things that go is the time her three kids were all fighting in the back seat of the minivan, and she was so preoccupied with hollering at them to stop hollering that she ended up rear-ending another minivan. Please welcome Patty Callahan-Henry. Be 
because yelling at children to stop yelling always works. <laughs> always. That's my number one. Okay, I'm like halfway in between. I think I'll use this one. Um, oh, it's so fun to be here. I left Atlanta about six years ago, moved to Birmingham, Alabama, and um, as soon as I pull in Deca De De to Decatur, I always feel at home. I'm really happy to be here. Okay, um, this picture is, is very old. Not very old, but my kids are now 24, 22, and 18. And I have to thank our sound guy back there. Everybody clap. Um, so I miss my children's childhood. I do. What I had once imagined it to be and what it actually was, both. I grew up in a preacher's home, quite scared of eternal hell and damnation. But I knew, of course, in the days before actually having children, that I would be the kind of parent that didn't scare her kids. I would be the kind of mom kids wouldn't need to lie to. I would understand them, and they would understand me. And this is why I write fiction. <laughs> I knew that when I became a mom, I wouldn't be weird cool like Amy Poehler and Mean Girls, who offered her teenage daughter and friends margaritas. Or crazy like Joan Crawford in Mommy Dearest. But I would be more like June Cleaver if she was Julia Roberts. Probably part Lucy, part Florence Henderson. And if Tammy Taylor had existed then, I would have set chosen her. Yeah. Right? Number one. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. So yeah, I looked at motherhood through the eyes of characters and stories. But I looked at all of life through characters and stories, so that made perfect sense. It wasn't that I didn't get what children were or how they acted. I was a nurse with a master's degree in pediatrics, which meant I was supposed to know about kids, all about kids. I was prepared on both fronts for being a mother, narrative and facts. But who is possibly prepared? There is a gap between the story I thought it would be and the story that it is. Maybe that gap is like Leonard Cohen's crack where the light gets in. When my firstborn Megan was two weeks old, my mother came to watch her so my husband and I could go to a movie. A movie, right? We were five minutes into that film called The Scent of a Woman when I realized that I would not see or hear one minute of that story, that Al Pacino held no sway with me, with the press of milk, I had what some call an epiphany, but what I label a complete and utter existential crisis. I realized that I would never again think of only me. My life would never again belong to only me. Even now, 24 years later, my first thoughts on waking up are by placing each one of my children on a pinpoint on a map, where they are at that moment in relation to me. Right now, my daughter lives in Hawaii. She's coming home this week um, and moving home. And then my son is in Charleston, and then I have one left at home. As I head into what society calls the empty nest, which seems to be a bit of a theme tonight, um, the story of their childhood has already been told, already been written. And it wasn't any of the stories I'd narrated in my mind or any story I'd ever heard or read. 
In fact, trying to force it to be a kind of story that it isn't never works, making everyone nuts. But it was ours, and it still is. My youngest, my 18-year-old Rusk, graduates next weekend from high school. He's at prom tonight, his last prom. I woke him up on Friday for his last real day of school. It has been 21 years that I have been waking somebody up for school since my daughter's first day of kindergarten. 21 years I have get, been getting up through thick and thin, through sickness, through cancer, through broken ankles. I have gotten, I might have gone back to bed, but I have gotten them up for school. And so I woke up early and I made him pancakes and he didn't want to eat them and I didn't care and I cried when his pickup truck drove off for school. But first let me say this. I have no idea why we call this empty nest. For me, it's an empty zoo, not an empty nest. Nothing about this phrase seems right, empty nest. Let's start with nest. Am I a mother bird? Oh, <laughs> hell no. Did I drop worms into their mouths? They were lucky they got mac and cheese. And really, is that house of twigs and straws ever really empty? No. Now the word empty. Even this word is a misnomer because the kids leave their stuff behind. Boxes and bags and crates of stuff behind. And there are cell phones to be in touch and tuitions to be paid and advice to be given. And nothing at all is empty except their beds and a big space in your heart where the dailiness of them lived and moved and infused the days. Yes, it is the dailiness that changes everything. My days, no matter how I call them mine, weren't in many ways. My hours were shaped around their full hours. I fit my life into the crevices that they left open. So I am worried about the emptiness. To pretend I'm not is foolish. But like when we learned that space isn't really space and isn't really empty, but a gravitational field, both active and moving, my kids don't leave behind emptiness either. I could show you the story of their childhood with photographs and filmy bliss about the sweetness, of which there was much, and this would be a much cleaner and prettier story. But right now, I think I will tell you of their childhood with memories and images that were never captured on film because that is where the heart of the story beats. This isn't a straight narrative, and there are days I don't remember. There are photographs, for example, of all of us at Disney World. And I will honest to God ask, why am I in that picture? Did someone Photoshop me in? Because I have no memory of being there. It was survival mode at the finest. I had three kids in under five years. But then there are those memories I will recall, images flying at me like driving in a hailstorm. And the funniest part of these images is they're the failures of mine and my family. The most profound parts of the story are constructed of what others might purposely forget or gloss over. There is a story about Einstein, which none of my children are, but that's besides the point. And Einstein was trying to create the filament for a light bulb, and he couldn't get it right, but he knew he could. And his assistant came to him and said, we've done it a thousand times, we've wasted our time. And Einstein said, we haven't wasted our time. He said, now we know a thousand ways not to do it. And that's sort of how parenthood is for me. I found a thousand ways 
not to do it. Let me shotgun some of these images at you in no specific age or order because that's how they come at me. I guess they could be called parenting moments of glory. I didn't know about these. I wrote a whole thing about them. So Thomas was 10 months old under the wheel of a minivan driven by the woman who had come to pick up my daughter for preschool. Ambulance, police car, hospital, and it's a miracle because where the tires rested, even by a year old, he was still walking. Flash forward, there's the time right after I started publishing and I hosted a group of women writers who I really wanted to impress. And they were staying at my house in Atlanta for the launch of Verb here in Decatur. I spruced up their bedroom, I had flowers, and was mightily, mightily faking my homemaking and mothering skills and impressing them. When from the top floor of the house, my youngest son, then six years old, screamed as if dying. We all stopped dead still and silent, believing something horrific occurred when he wailed, Thomas flushed my walkie-talkie down the toilet. (laughs) We're still friends. Next image, when my in-laws were in town to watch the two little boys while we took our daughter Megan to Ireland where she had qualified for Irish Dancing World Championships. I was so preoccupied and exhausted, worried about my in-laws' ever evasive approval. Before we left the next morning, we were all attending Thomas's baseball game. When we arrived at the baseball fields that night to watch him, I went to the fence and asked my husband, who was coaching, where is Rusk? our youngest. You have him. Uh. (laughs) Ha ha. No, really, I left him at the house for you and my parents to bring. Yeah, I left my four-year-old son at home alone. (laughs) He was safe. He stood in the front yard patiently waiting with his blankie under one arm. Yeah, and he still brings up this abandonment issue (laughs) when he wants something. I'm not kidding, he really does. He brings it up. Remember when he left me home alone? I was like one. I'm like, you were four. (laughs) But the best part was that I left my child home alone under the watchful eye of my in-laws, losing any bonus points I had ever gained. I gave up after that. Time moved on, and then this image flies at me. When Thomas and his buddy, as teenagers, camped in the backyard and came back in the middle of the night throwing up, saying they hadn't cooked their burgers well enough. Then I cleaned the bathroom, which had the exact same aroma of a college bar at 2 a.m. It wasn't the last time. Then there's the beautiful day I screamed at my daughter about her grades without realizing she had mild dyslexia. And I was much closer to Joan Crawford than June Cleaver. Then when I left my 10-year-old, Rusk, with my dad, which is much like leaving a child with a golden retriever, And my son nearly cut off his pinky with a fishing knife. After a seven-hour surgery and nine months of physical therapy, he can mostly use it now. I won't forget when my... He was a pitcher. That was over. I won't forget when my daughter, a few months old, dressed to the nines for an outing in her stroller, screamed and screamed until exasperated, I took her home and undressed her to find a tiny straight pin still in that fancy dress. I know I'm such a good mom. (laughs) Then when we were at Disney World and three-year-old Thomas stepped off the elevator on the wrong floor and the doors closed before we knew he was gone. We ran through the hotel like lunatics to find him calmly waiting and staring at the elevator doors. 
Then there were the more important and devastating catastrophes of our early teen years. Car wrecks, yes, plural. Heartbreaks, trouble in school. My middle son broke the middle school record for detention. <laughs> Winning! The final deal breaker being he forgot his uniform belt. Or the time I was in New York having the grandest time after publishing meetings and my neighbor texted to say, are you having a party? <laughs> the moment my heart almost stopped when 12-year-old Thomas was at bat and a baseball nailed him and knocked him out. The ambulance again for Thomas and off to the ER again. The time I couldn't find Thomas when he was two years old and for 10 minutes I couldn't find him and I called 911. In his little denim overalls with the striped red shirt underneath, we found him across the street in the neighbor's garage, nibbling on dog food. <laughs> These failures could have all been catastrophes, and in later years, some of them were. I would not have written any of these flying images into my grand sweeping epic of motherhood if I'd been given the chance. But there they are anyway, not on the front of Christmas cards or labeled in scrapbooks, but in the heart of us all, forging who we are as a family and as individuals. These memories come at me fast and furious now, speeding bullets that I want to catch in my teeth and put behind glass, but I can't. None of us can, but they do add up to a childhood, I know that. Now back to the refrain, that annoying refrain, empty nest. It isn't that anything is empty, but that jittery word, transition, is more accurate. Everything changes, we know that. But still we chafe and buckle under its most monolithic upheavals, and an empty zoo is one of those upheavals. It's stunning that we're all still here in one piece, but honestly, we aren't in some ways. There have been some complicated problems, forging fracture lines in all of us. Now I have these little adults who are my children, a conundrum and a wonder and, frankly, a miracle. But this, I'm here tonight without hiring a babysitter. I don't have puke on my shirt, as far as I know. I don't have a parent-teacher conference on Monday. I'm not arranging a play date. I'm not making a volcano science project at midnight that's due the next day. So I do miss their childhood until I don't. And somewhere I want to say that Patty Callahan Henry is a mother, and she has written 12 books. That blows my mind. Okay. You don't have to use that. I kind of want to use that. I'm trying to figure out where to put it. Maybe the very end. Yeah, I think so, maybe. Okay, that's it for Tantrum. <laughs> yeah, see you in about two weeks with our next episode. Thanks to those of you who have shared this podcast around. Also, thanks to those of you who have given us some nice reviews and ratings on iTunes. That will make the iTunes people or robots be able to place the show before more people. You know what I mean. More people will listen and <laughs> before long we'll have world domination, I guess. Because raising kids is fun, but hard. Raising kids is life-changing and yet brain-rotting. This isn't easy. And despite it all, you are kicking ass. Until next time, I'm Allison Harney. And I'm Kate Sweeney. Thanks to Jeffrey Butzer for letting us use his song, Catherine, for our music. And thanks to Mike Johns for recording the live show at Kavarna. See ya.
Well, I wanted to rate our show since you'd think I would be somebody who would have rated our show, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. Yeah, I actually don't. I don't remember exactly how to do it. I'd get out my phone and do it right now, but I'm just too tired. So you guys, Google how to do it and then do it, okay? <laughs> we're really helpful at Tantrum. See, we're we're teaching you by having you teach yourselves, you know? Like, yeah. we're teaching you how to fish by not teaching you how to fish. By just saying, go figure out how to fish. Never let your iPhone be far from you. That's really the answer. Yeah, right. Because you might need to give it to your kid so that she can look at some photos.